Good morning. It's good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, As Tim said, my name is Chris, and I'm the campus minister here. If you're new with us, typically we'd be lowering a screen right now, and we'd be hearing a message on live stream from our North Richland Hills campus. And our senior teaching minister, Rick Atchley, will be starting a new series next week. Tim's going to let you know more about that series, but we would hope that you could come back and join us next week. Uh, But today, I have the privilege of preaching with my son, Caleb. Uh, As Tim said, Caleb's a senior at ACU. He's a youth and family ministry major, and he's going to be looking for a job this spring and hopefully starting working. Yeah, right. This spring, right? Maybe. Hopefully starting a job full-time with a church this summer. And I realized that Caleb's never had the chance to preach to a live audience. He's had classes, and, and even because of the pandemic, that's changed where some of his preaching has been done on video via Zoom. And so I thought, well, I've got the perfect church for his first sermon to be taught to. And so you're going to be that first audience. And so thank you for being here today and being patient with us, because this is new for us to do together as well. But one of the things you need to know about Caleb is he's never lacked in confidence. In fact, uh, I want to show you several years ago, he got in my phone without me knowing about it, and he changed his contact information. And this slide will show you how he rates in my phone. He rated himself as my favorite child. And I have three children. As I tell him all the time, Caleb, parents don't play favorites. Well, I don't know, though, because you haven't changed it. It's still there <laughs> all these years. And actually, I did some stats. I ran the numbers. And, Dad, you can, you can say all day that you don't play favorites, but the numbers don't lie. And so, actually, I went on your Facebook, all right? Okay. And I compiled all of, of the pictures, the posts that you've had of, of different children. And if you go ahead and pull up that next slide, look at that. Caleb, Carly, Colby. I blow them out of the water. And then if that wasn't enough for you, you know, you get up here a lot, you do welcomes, you, you preach some, and you talk about your, your children a lot for, for examples. And I ran the numbers on that as well. Looked past at everything that you've done on stage. And you actually mentioned me more, 50% more than Carly and Colby. I dominate the amount of times that you mention a child during sermons. So you can say all day you don't play favorites, but uh, numbers don't lie. So well, I kind of questioned the stats there, that research that was done on that. But as we talked about that and started thinking about Caleb being my, fi- my favorite child, it brought us in the scriptures to one of Jesus' disciples who actually referenced himself as the disciple who Jesus loved five times in his gospel. And so it's John, in the book of John, he uses that description, the disciple who Jesus loved five times. So he must have been a little bit like you. Well, yeah, there's no doubt that he felt like that. But, you know, as as we were preparing the sermon, um, we kind of were faced with the question, that did everyone Jesus encountered feel like his favorite? There's no question John did. Obviously, he said it five times. You know, if I'm writing my own story, I'd call myself your favorite. But I'm sure that Colby and Carly, you know, in their own way, feel like they're your favorite as well. So in order to keep it fair, as we prepared for the sermon, we looked in John's own gospel. 
the same gospel, he called himself the favorite. And, and we looked for five other accounts where Jesus encountered other people, and, and he probably made them feel like they were his favorite as well. So we're going to do just a high view, quick view of five stories out of the book of John. I'd encourage you guys to write down these scriptures so you can go back home and read more about them because we're just going to give you a quick snapshot. But the first of those five people is Thomas in John chapter 20. See, Thomas is known as doubting Thomas for a reason. In verse 19, Jesus had died, and after the resurrection, he came back, and he appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And in fact, verse 24, it tells us that he wasn't there, and so Thomas had a hard time believing that Jesus was there. And so uh, Jesus saw, the disciples saw Thomas, and they told him they had seen Jesus, but this is what Thomas said in verse 25. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. I put my fingers into them and I place my hand into the wound in his side. Now, eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And now look at this next verse. Then he said to Thomas... Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. See, it's my thought here that Jesus made a second visit just for Thomas and his doubts. So Thomas had to feel like a favorite. Well, I mean, maybe. But Jesus also reappeared for Peter in John 21. And in John 21, we find Peter and a few of the other disciples, they return to their old life and, and they're, out, they're out fishing. And so Jesus is on the shore and he, he tells them to cast their net to the other side and they pull in this hefty catch of 153 fish. And as, as they come back onto the shore, Jesus cooks them a great breakfast, which is actually what I had this morning, a fish. Um, and after quite, probably quite a lot of fish, Jesus addresses Peter directly. And in John 21, verse 5, he starts, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked the question, Lord, Oh, a third time he asked the question, and Peter replied, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asked Peter, and it's the three times that Peter denied Jesus three chapters before. And Jesus here, he comes back, and, you know, Peter messed up, and he still forgives him. And he still continues to use Peter. And so there's nothing that Peter could do to fall out of the love of Christ, which makes him the favorite. I can see that. I bet Peter felt like a favorite. But there's somebody else that we see Jesus extend that same type of grace to. And it's John 8. And there's a woman that's caught in the act of adultery. And during that time, the punishment for this sin would be that she would be stoned to death. And so there's this gathering of men that actually were setting a trap for Jesus. And she was part of that trap. 
But they've brought her to Jesus and they're demanding from Jesus, what should her punishment be? They've got rocks in their hands and they're ready to go to town. And so she was guilty and the law was clear. But let's see what Jesus says in John 8, starting in verse 7. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again. And he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I go and sin no more. See, death was her sentence, but Jesus didn't condemn her. And in fact, he saved her life. And I would say, Jesus, Caleb, she felt like one of Jesus' favorites. No doubt. But there's another story of another woman in, in John 12, 2 through 7. And it's, it's Mary Magdalene. And they're throwing Jesus kind of a party. They're, they're, they've prepared a dinner for him. And a few of his disciples are there. And Jesus is eating. And at some point during that dinner, Mary Magdalene, she gets up and, and she, she, peer, she pours this perfume on his feet. And she gets down at his feet and, and she wipes his feet with her hair. And for whatever reason, a few of the disciples, especially Judas, started uh, challenging her, saying, you know, shouldn't you have spent that money elsewhere, you know, given it to, to some of the people who, who need it, some of the poor? And Jesus comes to her aid and says, no, what she has done is enough. She, she knows what she's doing. She's anointing me, preparing for my burial. She, he comes to her aid, kind of like the last story, and, and defends her. And so surely Mary had to feel like a favorite. And Mary gave him a gift, which, you know, probably doesn't hurt. <laughs> you know, so you can see, as we're just laying these things out, John called himself Jesus' favorite disciple, the one who Jesus loved. But everybody Jesus encountered felt like that, from uh, Thomas to Peter to the woman that was caught in adultery to Mary. They each felt like they were one of Jesus' favorites. But to me, maybe the one that felt like his most favorite was Lazarus. In fact, in Scripture, Lazarus was sick. And in John 11, verse 3, Jesus gets that word, and the word says that your dear friend is sick. Even as they brought Jesus that news, the descriptor used for Lazarus was your dear friend. And then whenever Jesus gets there, Lazarus has died. And as he gets to the tomb, John tells us in verse 35 that Jesus wept. That's probably one of the verses that you memorized when you were a child because it was only two words, right? Jesus wept. And as far as I know, that's the only emotion that Jesus shows like that for an individual in Scripture. His dear friend died. And he wept at his tomb. And so what did Jesus do? But he raised him from the dead. And that's a pretty big deal. And so I would say Lazarus had to feel like a favorite. Yeah, and 
you're right, in every one of these stories, it's easy and clear to see Jesus' love for, for every one of these people. And sometimes as readers and, and as you're hearing this, reading these stories, it's easy to think that, it, man, that's great for them and it only applies to those people in that story. But it, it's not the case. Jesus' love is not contained like that. It spreads and it infects every way. And so, so I just challenge you guys to, to personalize it. Put yourself in these stories. And as we kind of go in depth and, and look at other verses um, just please keep that in the back of your mind. Of, of Make this your own. So let's look at five things that we can learn about our relationship with Jesus through these five lenses that we've already shared with you today. And the first of those points is, is that Jesus has patience with our doubts. When we think about Thomas and Jesus coming back to, to show himself to Thomas, we see the patience that Jesus has with our doubts as well. Because let's just go ahead in a minute. We all have doubts and questions. Now I know sometimes when we're in church, it seems like we shouldn't admit that or we shouldn't talk about that. But we all doubt and have questions. I'm a minister. I have questions. There's scripture that I read that, that makes me wonder about things. But I want you to know that your doubts don't scare Jesus. Your doubts don't scare him. You know, there's another story in Mark chapter 9 of a dad that had a son that was possessed by an evil spirit. And this dad in just desperation comes to Jesus and asks him, if you can, could you heal him? And in Mark 9 verse 23 and 24, Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. And I've just got to let you guys know, this gives me confidence to see how Jesus dealt with this dad. Because there wasn't judgment on his lack of faith. Jesus healed his son. He didn't punish the dad. No, he goes on to ask about faith, but he didn't punish him, he healed his son. You see, I think Jesus knows that faith in today's world is difficult. There's a lot of things in our world, sickness and death and disease that cause us to question. But Jesus meets us in our doubts. You see, there's another verse that I think will give us faith that strengthens us today because you see, this dad in Mark 9, and Thomas, they both had Jesus in the flesh. They could see him and they could touch him. But we don't have that opportunity. We have Jesus through our Bible, through his Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, through the church that we worship together with. But listen to Jesus' own words to Thomas in verse 20, John 20, verse 29. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. We should consider ourselves blessed because of our faith in Jesus and know that he has patience with our doubts. That's good. And the second lens that we'll talk about is that Jesus forgives us and continues 
to use us. In John 21, we find Peter, probably one of the lowest points of his life. He's, he's just denied Jesus three times, the man who, who he gave his life to. And, and whenever, whenever Jesus finds him, I'm sure Peter is feeling all of this guilt, all of this shame. And, and Jesus has every right to give up on Peter. I mean, this man that, that he trusted with everything just gave up on him. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus reaches out a hand of forgiveness. And, and not only that, he redeems him. He says, Peter, three times, do you love me? And Peter, every time, I do. And that redeems him. And in and, and, and its own way, Jesus is forgiving him through that and continues to use Peter. Peter isn't done. You know, he goes on to, to lead the early church in Acts and, and, and throughout. We wouldn't be where we are today without him. And sometimes, you know, I and we all are like Peter. We're going to mess up. We're going to fall short. There will be days, there will be months, years even, where we choose to run away from God instead of running to him. And then you might find yourself in, in one of these seasons where it's just hard to choose Jesus, where it's hard to say that you know him. And even in those times, Jesus is right there, and, and he has that hand of forgiveness, ready to forgive you and ready to use you. Uh, Paul, in Ephesians 1.4, says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You see, there are days even where I look at myself in the mirror and I think, man, I'm beyond forgiveness. I'm beyond repair. But please remember the first part of this verse that in God's eyes, in Jesus' eyes, we are blameless. We are without fault. He looks at us and he sees something so perfect because he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with wisdom and understanding. We may think of ourselves as, as not good enough and unforgivable, but the good news is that God has already forgiven us and can look at us as we are blameless. And he can forgive us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Because he has come and he has wiped away our sins, he has made us blameless in God's eyes. And there is nothing that you can do to change that, and there is nothing that can keep God from being able to use you. So Jesus has patience with our doubts. He forgives us and continues to use us. And then the third thing we know about Jesus is he doesn't condemn us. You know, as we were laying out this lesson, I realized we're talking about doubts and then we're talking about forgiveness and now I'm talking about condemnation and all three of those things may seem a little bit repetitive, but I realize that it's necessary for us to keep driving this home because so many of us have such low spiritual self-esteem. We have the hardest time of thinking that, that God could love us. And that's why I love the worship set that we did this morning, even that it would echo in our soul how he loves us. The reckless love of Jesus. And so we think in our own minds that God can't use us. God really can't love me. If, if you truly knew everything about me and who I was, I wouldn't even be welcome in here. You see, we have an accuser. That's one of the words used in Scripture for Satan. And he is accusing us all the time, working overtime in our lives. 
And unfortunately, I think we listen too much. And so I want you to listen to this. Romans 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if Rick was talking about this verse, he would do a deep word dive into the Greek on the word no. And he would tell you this, that he studied it and he's learned this, that the word no in the Greek means no. Now, I'm not as smart as Rick, but I can understand no. But I want you to hear this today. If you would say to me, but my marriage failed. No condemnation. But I lied. No condemnation. But I I lose my temper. No condemnation. But I failed as a parent. No condemnation. But I cheated on that test. No condemnation. No means no. And Jesus doesn't condemn you. See, his hands are empty of rocks. But this verse does say this, there's no condemnation for those that belong to Jesus. Or another translation says, for those that are in Christ Jesus. So I ask you today, do you belong to Jesus? Have you made the decision to be in Jesus Christ? Because I believe that, that when you make that decision to put your faith in Jesus, then we take a step here that we call baptism, that we have a baptistry right here, and you get in the water and you confess your faith and you put on Jesus. We, we put you down in water and we raise you up and you're putting on Jesus. And when you do that, there's no condemnation for you. Because as Caleb just reminded us, God sees us as holy and blameless. So can you hear that today, that there's no condemnation? Stop listening to the accuser because Jesus' hands are empty. And not only that, but the fourth one, it says Jesus accepts the best we have to give. As we look back at Mary and and the gift that, that she gave Jesus was looked down upon uh, by some other disciples, by Judas. And Jesus accepts it and lifts her head and says, you know, what you have given me is enough. And I think a lot of times we, we can look at ourselves and say, you know what, it's, it's, what I can give is not enough. Um, I should be reading my Bible more. I can be praying more. There's always that I can do that's more and more and more. And it's easy to look down on yourself and say, I'm not, I'm not doing enough. I'm not even deserving of God's love. But, but Jesus, he reaches down and he says, what you have is enough, right? And as we look at Romans 12, 1, Paul says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. That is truly the way to worship him. And in here in this verse He's not asking for anything more. You see, he's not, he's just asked for our bodies to offer them up as a living sacrifice. Not anything more. He doesn't say, you know, and read your Bible for that's the way to worship. God has equipped us with everything that we need to do to worship him. We don't have to do anything more. Our bodies, our words of praise, the way that we live each and every day 
Jesus is not asking more than anything than to come as we are. You know, sometimes I think we think what we bring him is inadequate. You know, I was thinking, Caleb, of when you were working on that point of when I was in youth ministry in Lake Jackson, Texas, we went to a nursing home and I developed relationships with these residents there. And so we decided at Christmas to take Christmas gifts to them. And I just got a list of names and gift suggestions. And then our students bought those gifts. And there was a woman there that was named Sparky and she wanted house shoes. And so Jeremy in my youth group got Sparky's name and house shoes, except he thought Sparky was a man. And so he bought like size 12 house shoes. And when he went to her room to give her the house shoes and realized it was a female, he was so despondent and discouraged. And he kind of walked out and he's like, man, I failed. Said, I ruined this because these are going to be too huge for her. She can't even wear them. And so he went on out to the van and we got loaded up. And I remembered I forgot something. And so I went back in. And when I looked down the hallway, there came Sparky in her new house shoes. And she goes, Chris, look at my shoes. Aren't they beautiful? And as I was able to go back and use that as an example to Jeremy, that sometimes we think what we bring is inadequate, but God makes it perfect. And he does that with our lives as well. And so he not only accepts the best we have to give, but the last point we have for you today is that Jesus promises us victory over death. You know, when I talk about our spiritual self-esteem and the things that we worry about, I would say of all of our concerns, death has to be the biggest one. If you were to look back at 2020 and all the anxiety that was caused due to COVID, I believe it's not just about getting sick, it's about worried about what would happen to us if we got sick. And I know that was a concern of mine with my asthma and my lungs when I got COVID was, man, I don't want to get on a ventilator. And, and really what I'm saying is I don't want to die. And you see, when we think back to Lazarus, Jesus had a conversation with his sister Martha right before he raised him from the dead. And this verse in John 11, verse 25, it says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? You see, even as we read this story, even though Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus would die again. Because that's what happens on this earth. But Jesus is talking about our ultimate resurrection eternal life. And when we talk about being in Jesus and living our life for Jesus, we don't have to worry about the end of this life because we have life with him for eternity. And so I personalize this verse a little bit at the end of that when Jesus says, do you believe this, Martha? You know, I would say, do you believe this, Justin? Do you believe this, Kendra? Do we believe that we will live beyond this life? Do you believe this, Caleb? Mm. And that question that, that faces us and all of us is just there, and we just have to accept it. 
And I, I know what I do, Dad. I do believe that because I believe the other truth that we are all God's favorite. And that's what stems from that is that's the reason that we have eternal life. That's the reason that Jesus came and died for us. And then there, there have been times where I have felt, and even some of you may feel, that we're not good enough, that we're too far out of Jesus' favor, and that that promise isn't for you, that you can't take hold of that, that eternal life that Jesus offers us, but it's here for everyone. He's already died for each and every one of you. And as a reminder, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes there's no other tag on that. It's every single one of you has the opportunity, has the chance. It's, it's given for everyone. And so it's that same eternal life that I invite each and every one of you into now. Take a hold of that gift. Take hold of that promise. And, and as we worship, um, there's going to be elders, there's going to be ministers here who will be ready to receive you, pray for you, baptize, whatever you need. And so I'm going to pray, and if you please stand with me as I pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you for the ability of everyone here to just come and, and hear your word and hear your promise and your gift, God. And I just pray as we especially head into the new year and are, and are leaving Christmas behind, God, that we not forget the reason you came. And God, that is to die for each and every one of us, to, to forgive us of our sins and wipe us clean, God, so that, so that we can accept the eternal life that you offer. And I pray that, that we remember that and we let that change us as we go out and we live every day of our lives, God. It's your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.